Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Welcome to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in on this Monday, March 7th, 2022. A lot of you folks I know are plugged into the news, and so you're aware that this has not been a slow weekend. The war in Ukraine continues. Russia is pushing forward on their advances, and that's changing the way a lot of the grain flows and, well, commodity flows more broadly around the world are happening. We're going to check in with just a moment with Garrett Toy of Ag Trader talk about the volatility in the markets. And then in segment two, we're going to get a weather update. John Baranek of DTN Weather will be joining us. And in segment three, we're going to talk policy a little bit. Jackie Fatka, policy editor at Farm Progress, will join us. We had some changes proposed to the CFTC this week, and farm bill discussions are gearing up in Washington. So stick around to hear from Jackie. And then at the end of the show, we'll recap some of the headlines that have developed here over this weekend. But I promised we're going to talk commodities first. Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk joins us this week. And Garrett, it is Monday already, and in the Overnight hours of trading, we have seen a $15 range in crude oil. Garrett, what's happening? Yeah, the market was uh, saw a knee-jerk reaction off the opening bell <clears throat> with a uh, trade to 130. Uh, a lot of discussion over the weekend about the U.S. Uh, potentially. Uh, we're still importing uh, Russian oil, and the U.S. is potentially ex uh, exploring a ban on, on Russian oil imports. And that, that sent the market higher, uh, sharply higher. We're, we're well off, uh, and that kind of that, that set the, the, the bar for the rest of the grain markets. Uh, we rallied the grain markets uh, sharply higher off the Sunday open, but the, the, crude, uh, the crude market has since abated. We're only up uh, 273 right now, 118. I do know that the bullet is hitting the bone uh, as far as prices at the pump. Uh, here locally, our diesel prices are in northwest Illinois. Uh, hit 450 a gallon over the weekend. Gasoline's 417. So it's uh, you know I think this is going to hit the consumer in the pocketbook uh, sooner rather than later because it uh, you know we had near 70 cent jump in gasoline prices in the last week. Uh, but as far as greens are concerned, here this morning it's uh, it's been an interesting morning for sure. It has, Garrett. And let's move over to the grains here and talk about what's happening in that market. We have seen a lot of volatility. Corn was up in the overnight. Now we're seeing some weakness. Garrett, are we just seeing money slosh around in the system right here? Um, no, I, said, I made a comment to, to customers last week that if, if, if we continues to rally, that it's going to be tough to get to, to get bearish corn because ultimately, you know, if corn could do what wheat does, it could get interesting. But, uh, you know, it's interesting to me here. I think that the, the row crops are, are kind of divorcing themselves a little bit from the wheat market. You know, May, we've got a short in the May uh, Chicago wheat that's stuck. That's the only contract that's, that's limit higher. Even KC wheat's only 30, 34 cents higher. But uh, Chicago, K, you know, May, uh, Chicago May is up 85 cents at 12.94. Uh, the synthetics are only a, a few cents over. So maybe we'll see May trade today. The CME did expand trading limits uh, from, they used to be 50 cents in an expanded limit of 75 cents. They're now 85 cents with a $1.30 expanded limit. The sooner that we can get this wheat short out, uh, the quicker this thing will be over. But um, the row crafts have definitely have, have divorced themselves, it seems. I mean, the spreads are starting to correct. May, May corn is down 12. These corn is up 6. This is part of that spread correction. Uh, the front end corn seems to be really respecting last year's highs. We haven't been able to push above those levels. And the soybean market as well, I mean, it, it doesn't, you know, $17, it does not want to print a $17 level. It's active resistance. We're trading the $16.50, $17 type range. And, and and that's that. Now I will I will warn. I mean it's you know we're, we we finished the, the crop insurance pricing period um, you know last week, but you know it, it is noticeable here in these no beans, the fifteen fifty area, excuse me fourteen fifty area um, is acting as formable resistance. You know I don't know if people are planning on increasing uh, if people are planning on increasing bean acres, and I do think they will, but it seems like they're hedging at those levels as well. 
All right, Garrett, and it sounds like we are having a little bit of trouble with the phone. I'm going to let you go, let our production staff up there get you reconnected and plugged back in. So, folks, bear with us just a moment. We're going to get Garrett reconnected on a little better phone line here, and then we're going to come back to talking about these markets. I'm very excited to pick Garrett's brain on that wheat short, so we will be sure to, to grab Garrett back here in just a minute. But while we are waiting for that phone call to reconnect, folks, let's talk really quickly about the fact that COVID isn't over. I know here in the U.S. we are excited to be taking off our masks and getting a little bit more freedom, I guess, across the country from the COVID restrictions, but that's not the case all around the world particularly in Southeast Asia. We have heard a lot of calls for these countries, notably China and New Zealand are two places that had a COVID zero policy. They are working to, to make those uh, basically fortress COVID, fortress New Zealand, and they're failing. We're starting to see COVID outbreaks develop across New Zealand. Could we see similar things play out in China? Well, I guess that will remain to be seen, but it sounds like we've got Garrett back on the line here. Garrett, are you back with us? I am. Fantastic. Thank you, sir, for getting that reconnected. Let's talk about that short here in the wheat market. How much more looking at the com commitment of traders report? How much more blowout do you think is left there in that May wheat contract? <laughs> well, I mean, you look at open interest and, and open interest is only coming down in spot contract or in the total open interest is only about 4,700 contracts coming off a day. Uh, the open interest declines have really not been reminiscent of what we've necessarily been seeing on the board. Um, but, uh, I mean, you look at the commitment of traders here this past weekend, uh, this past Friday, and, uh, you know, they still, as of last Tuesday, had a, you know, 7,000 contract short in that market. Uh, they, they essentially halved it from the prior week, but there's, you know, the 7,000 contracts. I mean, they're, the expanded limits should help, but, I mean, I would think maybe another day or two of, of limit-type moves in order to get that short out or where it needs to be. That is something else, Garrett. These these markets have really been incredible to watch here. As you think about the livestock markets, given the volatility in corn, do you see any upside here in feeder cattle, at least in the short term? In feeders, no. I mean, fat cattle on the back end of the curve, it should. I mean, right now we're trading right this April contract down to the 100-day moving average. We ran it. We we. We, we gapped everything lower on Friday, hogs, cattle, everything, and, and we, we ran stops in those April fats down, you know, below 134. But, you know, here today we're kind of a bit of a proverbial dead cat bounce. You know, technically we're really oversold in here, but, um, you know, it's a fundamental of the corn market. It's a function of the corn market, I should say. But if we can hold this 135.84 in fats, um, you know, maybe we can try to stabilize this market. You know, prior to the corn run-up, Back in my mind, I, I kind of told myself that I'd, I'd want to own cattle around 130, 134. Um, but, you know, it, a lot of it depends on corn. And if this corn market does look like it might be a little bit toppy in here, then, then I might stick to my conviction. But, uh, but it's, it's obviously with the way these markets are moving, you, you can't be too tight to one thing or another. Flexibility. That's the watchword. Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk, thanks for joining us here on AOA Today. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick around when we return. John Baranek of DTN Weather will give us an outlook into this week ahead. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this year? Be sure to stop by the UPL booth to talk with their crop specialists. We also have some exciting news we'll be unveiling that you won't want to miss. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the UPL booth on Thursday, March 10th from 9 to 10 a.m. Stop by booth 5320 or listen live at 9 a.m. on the Agriculture of America radio network. We look forward to seeing you at this year's Commodity Classic in New Orleans. How many acres are you keeping an eye on? Another pair of eyes could be very helpful in protecting your ROI, especially ones that are highly trained. And that's what you'll get with an FS Crop Specialist. They can spot issues you might not even know you have using the latest technology, including thermal, drone, and NDVI imaging. Then they can get an early treatment plan started. Contact your local FS Crop Specialist to learn more about our crop scouting services. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next. 
Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this week? Stop by the Intelligent Ag booth to talk with their specialist on how to overcome spraying and fertilizer spreading challenges and learn more about their new Recon Spray Sense solution that monitors real-time flow and pressure of all nozzles on sprayers. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the Intelligent Ag booth on Friday, March 11th from 9 to 10 a.m. to talk about these hot topics in agriculture. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Hello, folks. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today on this Monday, March 4th. You know, we were talking about the volatile markets with Garrett Toy there in segment one. And now we're going to talk about the volatile weather. John Baranek of DTN Weather joins me today. And yesterday was a busy day, John. We saw tornadoes break out across the country, hitting my hometown of Winterset, Iowa. Deadliest day for tornadoes in Iowa since 2008. John, are things going to settle down this week? Uh, unfortunately, no. Uh, we've got quite uh, some active weather going on this week, unfortunately. Sorry to hear about the, the family there in Winterset. Uh, I had uh, a buddy of mine uh, that's from Sheraton down there in Iowa, and his, his town got hit as well. So, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of sad to see that, especially this early in the season. But, you know, these, these active weather patterns are, are, you know, the cause for all this. And it looks like we're going to continue here. We've got one system already. Still moving through uh, the eastern half of the country here this week. Some snow off in the northern Midwest, and we might even have some more severe weather here, kind of towards the Appalachians, but uh, still some some uh, potential for that. And we've got a big Arctic cold front that's going to move through here. Uh, it's going to move through the, the the plains tomorrow, and then uh, slowly kind of make its way to the east coast by the end of the week. And uh, as it does so, we'll see a, a big uh, band of snow go across the. Uh, Nebraska and Iowa here kind of Wednesday and Thursday. And then uh, the bigger system really kind of forms along that on Friday uh, across the Southern Plains and then moves up the Ohio Valley into the Northeast again. So uh, that system's probably going to have uh, a big band of snow on the, on the backside of it too across the Midwest. So we've been really warm uh, near the Ohio Valley and we may uh, dump on uh, several inches of snow on top of that. Oof, yeah. So a big turn from last year when you had that warm up and uh, a pretty relaxed experience weather-wise. It is starting to intensify. John, let's talk about that system that could be coming across here uh, Tuesday into Wednesday. You mentioned Nebraska and Iowa. Are they going to see the first impacts of that storm? Yep, they should. Well, unless you're out in the high plains out there in, in uh, western uh, Montana and uh, Wyoming, you'll probably see some uh, upslope flow, creating some snow showers there. But Really, yeah, the main the main piece of it really comes uh, in Nebraska and Iowa Wednesday and Thursday, and then uh, it'll spread through the rest of the country here through the rest of the week. Now, how much snow are we talking about with this system, John? 
Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be tough to tell. Uh, we're a, we're a few, especially towards the end of the week, and we're talking about the Ohio Valley. Uh, but across Nebraska and Iowa, up to six inches looks pretty good. Uh, there may be some areas there if you stay a little bit sustained, we could get over six inches. So it uh, could be a little impactful there. As we move towards you know the Ohio Valley and the eastern Midwest late this week, uh, it's a little bit more questionable. Models are not completely on board with uh, amounts and timing and all that business, uh, as you would expect kind of, you know, four or five days out. Uh, but, you know, we, and it's going to move through somewhat quickly. So maybe, maybe four to six inches is what we look at uh, right now, um, depending on, you know, how, how fast this thing moves through and everything and how it all comes together. It could be more or less, but four to six is what it looks like right now. And John, you expect that system to really wrap up or, or really begin its impact into Wednesday. And I'm thinking specifically end of the week this week, the 11th, 12th, and 13th, of course, we've got, or excuse me, the 10th, 11th, and 12th is Commodity Classic down in New Orleans. A lot of folks going to be traveling across the country to get down to the Gulf Coast. How do things look along that Gulf Coast uh, area later this week? Yeah, uh, that's the, I mean, the, the front that's going to move through the rest of the country is going to move through them too down there. And actually I'll be down there for it. So uh, it'll be, it'll be a fun time. It looks like that front comes through kind of Friday night. Uh, if it comes through at the right time, we could be talking about severe weather down there as well, but everything's got to kind of come together, but uh, some showers will be possible the rest of this week here. So if you're in town or going down there early over the next couple of days, you may see some isolated showers. And it's scattered showers pick up on Thursday and into Friday. And that Friday evening piece is kind of my most concern with that. Um, Saturday or Sunday, if you're if you're headed home, uh, those days look a lot lot uh, quieter, a lot cleaner. All right, good to know. Should be some safe travel for folks headed to New Orleans for Commodity Classic. John, I want to look out a little bit longer term. There are two areas on the map in America that we have been watching very closely. And of course, that's the Montana, Northern Plains, Western North Dakota, Western South Dakota drought region. And then the Southern Plains, that same area, Texas, Oklahoma, Panhandle that have been impacted by drought. Are there any indications longer term that that drought could start to fade? Do you see any sign of increased moisture falling in either one of those two regions? I'm a little bit more optimistic about the Northern Plains. Uh, as we go through the that, that second half of March here, um, we're gonna kind of go into a pattern where there's not a, a huge dominate, dominating factor, and that'll allow little systems to kind of move through the Northern tier of the country and um, almost kind of like clippers, but not to that same kind of intensity and getting the cold air and, and the breezy winds with it. So, well, I think we, we'll, we'll, we'll get some showers up there here for the end of March and going into uh, a good portion of April as well. So I'm a little bit more optimistic about that. Uh, down farther south, though, unfortunately, I'm not seeing a whole lot uh, with the setup, uh, with our forecasts, with any of the model forecasts that are, are pointing to this drought ending anytime soon. So. Um, um, unless they, they, they luck out with something kind of late next week where we might see a little system kind of move through. Um, I know the GFS really wants to pump that up into something big uh, late next week, um, which could, you know, if that does, would be, would be very beneficial, but it wouldn't eliminate the drought. Um, but other than that, uh, I'm not seeing a whole lot to, to eliminate it. It, ju it just looks like it's going to continue on here through the entire summer. Oof. Oh, not great news for a lot of our friends down in that particular part of the country. John, as we think about temperatures here with this Arctic cold front coming over, who's going to see the coldest temps? Is it going to be confined up there in the Dakotas or is it going to spread across all the plains? Oh, it's going to spread across the entire plain. So, I mean, even today, uh, behind the cold front that came through over the weekend, uh, Texas Panhandle, all the way down to western Texas, got into, down into the teens. But uh, as this cold front moves through, we're going to spread a lot of that teens and, and, and 20s business throughout almost all the plains. Even uh, some below zero readings are going to be possible here in, in the Dakotas, maybe even Nebraska and Iowa uh, on, uh, underneath the, the, the snow cover there. Um, we'll have potential for sub-zero lows here Saturday morning. And a lot of that will continue its way eastward uh, into the weekend, too, behind the system. So maybe not that cold, but you know, up and down the plains and into the upper Midwest, definitely. All right. Things to keep an eye on there, John. Let's go down to South America, if you don't mind. Talk about Brazil. We've been tracking their harvest and the troubles they've had getting that crop to grow. What's the weather shaping up for down there, particularly across the southern region of Brazil right now? 
Yeah, so over the last week or so, we've seen a pretty good period of showers across both Argentina and southern Brazil. Um, the showers continue this week as well, uh, for the most part, uh, across the entire complex, except for the, the state of Minas Gerais in the eastern areas. That's kind of more isolated showers. Otherwise, showers look pretty good through much of the week. Uh, late this week, though, we'll get a, a front to push north from Argentina, clearing out that country late this week. And then through southern Brazil over the weekend, and then uh, focusing the showers more towards central Brazil going into next week. And I think that's where we're going to kind of set up for the rest of the month as well. So um, showers across southern Brazil have been helpful, especially as we're still planting down there for versafrina corn. And, uh, you know, early growth period is looking okay. They're still in drought, but, you know, they've had some pretty decent soil moisture over the last week to 10 days or so. And, uh, you know, overall, that's going to be okay. But, you know, once we get towards the later half of this month, we start to see all that uh, shower activity go isolated. Looks like that's going to continue through much of April as well, if the models are right. Uh, so, um, you know, we're going to have some troubles down there, especially in southern Brazil. Central Brazil, I think we're, we're still in good shape. Okay. For those of us up here in the Northern Hemisphere, John, what is the timing of the wet season, dry season down there in Argentina, Brazil? When does that, when do meteorologists anticipate that switch to flip in an average year? Right. In an average year, that's about May 4th, early May time period when we switch from the wet season to the dry season. Uh, and it's actually pretty, uh, pretty sudden too, uh, that, that that occurs. During La Nina conditions, though, it tends to be a little bit earlier on on the end time for the wet season. So typically it's around early the May, the first couple of days of May. Uh, during uh, La Nina, though, that could be mid to late April. So um, if that does indeed occur, I haven't seen any indications in the models of that yet, but, uh, you know, we're still, you know, quite a ways away from that. So we've got some time to kind of uh, analyze that. But, you know, if that does occur, then we uh, we will run into some issues there with the safrina corn uh, of going into their, their fill period at least, but uh, some of the crop would be in their reproductive stages too. All right, and that is that again, that end of April, early part of May, that transition to the dry period. John Brannick of DTN Weather, thanks for joining us this week. Thanks for having me, Mike. And folks, join us in just a moment. We'll be talking to Jackie Fatka of Farm Progress. She's the policy editor there. She's got some updates on what's happening in Washington, D.C. So stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this year? Be sure to stop by the UPL booth to talk with their crop specialists. We also have some exciting news we'll be unveiling that you won't want to miss. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the UPL booth on Thursday, March 10th from 9 to 10 a.m. Stop by booth 5320 or listen live at 9 a.m. on the Agriculture of America radio network. We look forward to seeing you at this year's Commodity Classic in New Orleans. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, the rotation of money gained momentum again overnight as fierce fighting continues in Ukraine. Commodity prices surged while the equities fell as Wall Street continues to adjust its risk portfolio. Commodity prices are well off their highs, though, near session lows in some cases as quarter beans have backed off here in the morning trade. Now, May Chicago wheat remains up its 85-cent daily limit with CFTC data showing speculators short 98,491 contracts of Chicago wheat as of March 1st. Now, all the fighting in Ukraine continues to have traders worried, and futures prices have outrun the commercial markets, causing many to shift bids to July contracts or later. April crude oil briefly touched $130 a barrel overnight, but has backed off. It's now trading up $2.54 at 118.22. 
We also saw sales of soybeans again to China, 4.85 million bushels on the Daily Wire this morning. Half of that for old crop and half of it for new crop. Brazil and Argentina both received beneficial rains over the weekend with more expected this week. Taking a look at numbers on the board, May core down 11 to 3 quarters at 742 and a half. December cord 6 to 3 quarters higher, 636 at a quarter. May soybeans down a half a penny at 1660. November new crop beans down 7, 14.43 and a quarter. Soybean meal for May, that is up $1.50 a ton, 461.90. May bean oil up 60 points at 73.40. May Chicago wheat up limit up 85 at 12.94. May Kansas City wheat up 24 and three quarters, 12.39 and a quarter. May spring wheat up 22, 11.69. Cattle are mixed to higher with April feeder cattle up $1.158.25. April live cattle unchanged at 135.77. Hogs are lower April down 97 at 99.47. That's a check in the market trade this hour. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. You know, we have been talking about the volatile futures markets quite a bit lately, and that volatility looks like it is going to continue for some time. We heard from Garrett Toy there in segment one. But overall, the markets have continued functioning as they should. They are serving as a place to manage risk and the oversight of those markets is something that happens in Washington, D.C. One of the groups that handles the oversight of commodity futures is the CFTC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, which this week had some hearings on some new members. Jackie Fatka, the policy editor at Farm Progress, joins us today. And Jackie, what do we know about the new commissioners who were nominated to the CFTC? Well, we know that um, we only have one current of five commissioners that are on the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. And last week, the Senate Ag Committee held a nomination hearing for four new nominees, all women, um, who come with some great background, two Republicans and two Democrats. Usually, the CFTC is, um, has nominated folks from um, both sides of the party and whoever usually the president in control. So there would be three Democrats, two Republicans on this commission. Um, but some of these are, like I said, they're they're all women, but all have, have widespread support from the ag industry, which, uh, right, you, you've mentioned the CFTC is a regulator for those markets that everybody is trading in. And so it's good to make sure that uh, that we have a, a full slate of commissioners to make sure that the market is functioning as it should and uh, making sure that the, the rules are written in a way that, that ensures all farmers are, are making sure that the markets are functioning properly. Absolutely. I mean, that's the important part of what the CFTC does right there. And Jackie, this is really interesting to have truly a, a slate of four members, two repubs, two Dems, and have bipartisan support. What does their nomination process look like? Given the support they've got, are they expected to sail through when there's a vote? You know, yeah, I don't. Um, these are usually not very controversial votes. I mean, when when we do, especially because of through the hearing, um, you know, there was good bipartisan support from both uh, 
Senate Ag Committee Chairman Stabenow, as well as Ranking Member Bozeman, and and everybody wants to make sure that it, we we know the CFTC functions best when it's fully operational. And so a lot of times these are five-year terms, and so you'll have times sometimes where people will step down if a new president comes in, or you'll have people step down if they've got another option. Um, but you know, one of the one of the individuals um, has spent 15 years on Capitol Hill. Uh, Mersinger, one of the nominees, uh, she's worked uh, under the chief staff of Commissioner Stump, um, and most recently she served on the Ag Advisory Committee there at CFTC. And so, you know, very in tune with some of the Ag folks and, uh, you know, some of the commodity groups who are really involved, the uh, National Grain and Seed Association is, is always often um, very vocal about making sure that they are meeting with these CFTC folks and you know those are the the ones who are really making some decisions that will impact the the green elevators and those in the countryside um, but overall I, I think a good thing for hearing about these nominees um, you know a lot of the ag groups including the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives was another ag group that was very supportive of these nominees so yes once these come up for a vote on the Senate I think that that good things could happen. I don't. I don't see any um, huge roadblocks, or I've heard of any of that. And, and Stabenow said also at the end of the hearing they'll be working to move the nominations forward as quickly as possible. We know that there's a lot of nominations that the Senate is considering, and this is four more to add on to that list. But hopefully, we would see that here in the next couple of months. Jackie, you spend a lot of time in Washington talk with, talking with folks in that ecosystem. When when Stabenow says we're going to move this forward as quickly as possible, do, do you have an idea of what that timeline might look like? Is it weeks or months? What do you think for quickly as possible means? <laughs> you know, it's hard. I, I would say more likely months, um, more likely months, because they do have um, a good chunk of April that they will be on recess because of Easter holiday. And so you'll have a couple of weeks where they won't be uh, working in Capitol Hill uh, for for Easter recess. And then they also are still too working on the appropriations. And so, uh, yes, uh, as quickly as possible is not as quickly as possible as probably farmers are used to where it might be days or, or even weeks, I would imagine. Here in the next couple of months, you know, maybe before Memorial Day, uh, we might we might see those cleared through. Okay. Well, as we think about planning, and it, it certainly takes time to get things done in D.C., Jackie, those farm bill discussions for 2023 are starting off. I know a lot of hearings are happening with stakeholders. What have you heard so far? Any big changes pitched to any of the major uh, farm bill programs? You know, so last week um, was a unique opportunity in the House Ag. The House Ag has really kind of taken the lead on holding these original oversight hearings, and uh, they've they've had three so far. They've got another one scheduled for Tuesday morning on rural development, but the one, the latest one, and that was last week on. They had all of the commodity groups: so soy, cotton, corn, rice, uh, sugar. I mean, all they had nine different. Uh, farmer representatives or representatives from those commodity groups testifying on some of the main concerns. And, you know, everybody is facing really high input costs. And so as you look at what kind of safety net, I mean, I think that's something to keep in mind um, to be able to keep farmers in business and, and balancing that ability to have a government program that provides a safety net while not forcing a market to um, be swayed in the decision that's not market-driven decisions, right? We don't want the government program to be driving the decisions that are being made. Um, and so, and just kind of another side plug, you know, March 15th is coming up for deadlines on producers needing to sign up for the the main safety net programs, ARC and PLC, the average revenue coverage and price loss coverage. And, uh, you know, a big discussion last week was where do you set those reference prices for the price loss coverage program, which is a main component of um, the PLC program of, of where do you set it so that you start to have prices. Um, and, you know, the reference price for soybeans is 840, but, you know, the current break even for soybeans, according to Purdue, is 1107. So where do you adjust that? How do you uh, maybe make some 
considerations of where prices are going, what input prices are. You know, there's always a question during Farm Bill of are we at a new plateau? Obviously, prices right now with the Ukraine situation are at a unprecedented level. And, you know, will that continue? Does that change? What does that mean for providing that effective safety net? And so, you know, that was a big discussion point of where we do a reference price for these commodity programs. And then another one is is disaster programs. You know, we've really had a lot of ad hoc hoc assistance in recent years. And in the last Farm Bill, they did do WIP and WIP Plus, which is a a wildfire hurricane indemnity program. And some of the tornadoes and derechos have been included in that. But how do we, it can be expensive. So how do you write a program and how do you make sure that it's not too much? And um, I I think Congress is is listening for commodity groups as we head into this week. I'm, I'm headed to Commodity Classic and a lot of these grassroots commodity groups will be starting to have those deeper conversations about what their priorities are, where do we need to have some studies here in the next year to kind of help provide that framework, that foundation for where the policy needs to go or needs to be changed. But I don't see any big overhaul changes. You know, over the last couple of decades, we've had some major changes. We've moved away from direct payments and we are trying to make things more market-based and you know crop insurance is still number one everybody wants to make sure that that stays and i think that will be so i don't i don't see huge overhaul changes but i mean we are in a different dynamic with some of the price input costs and so i think you will hear and some more discussion about where things go with that as well as disasters we're seeing more just catastrophic things going on. So how does the farm program help manage some of that as well? Yeah, that is key. And Jackie, you mentioned those higher input costs that has come out of the mouth, I think of every single farmer I've talked to in the past six months, we're talking about concerns for the year ahead. And so much of that comes back to energy. I know you tuned in to President Joe Biden's State of the Union address last Tuesday. Were there any insights as to how this administration could take a different look at energy policy in his State of the Union? You know, uh, a lot of ag groups were a little disappointed in the lack of uh, some of the the solutions that many in the countryside are wanting, um, whether that's ethanol, because it does check a lot of the boxes. Uh, You know, interestingly enough, U.S. ethanol producers have enough excess production capacity to supply enough ethanol to completely replace the equivalent of what we import from Russia from the crude oil side of things. Um, you know, we we have a lot of ethanol ability to blend more and uh, there is a lot of opportunity for that. And there was not one mention of ethanol in his State of the Union, you know, looking back, really the ethanol industry got a big boom when President George W. Bush talked about ethanol um, back in his early years of being a president. And, you know, those are the types of things that can really offer great solutions. And uh, when it comes to national security, as well as the cost at the pump, you know, both of those are things that ethanol checks the box. And, you know, unfortunately, no, that was not talked about as a lot of people wanted in that State of the Union and a lot of focus on electric vehicles, but there's there's opportunities today and we, we need to look at them. I think you're exactly right, Jackie. We've got energy in this country. We need a policy that encourages it, getting out there and helping drive down that price at the pump. Jackie Fatka, Policy Editor at Farm Progress. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And folks, stick around. We've got a bunch more headlines to talk about that are impacting ag, and we'll cover those when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too to be a beacon of strength, a champion of courage, an advocate for hope. You are not alone because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, 
retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this year? Be sure to stop by the UPL booth to talk with their crop specialists. We also have some exciting news we'll be unveiling that you won't want to miss. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the UPL booth on Thursday, March 10th from 9 to 10 a.m. Stop by booth 5320 or listen live at 9 a.m. on the Agriculture of America radio network. We look forward to seeing you at this year's Commodity Classic in New Orleans. Now a National Ag Day message brought to you on behalf of Growmark and its FS and Grain member cooperatives. American agriculture is the foundation of our country. It's the backbone of a healthy and prosperous nation made possible by the hard work of America's farms and farm families who lead the way in preservation and innovation for the health of our planet. Join the Agriculture Council of America in celebrating National Agriculture Day on March 22nd. Agriculture, growing a climate for tomorrow. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this week? Stop by the Intelligent Ag booth to talk with their specialist on how to overcome spraying and fertilizer spreading challenges and learn more about their new Recon Spray Sense solution that monitors real-time flow and pressure of all nozzles on sprayers. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the Intelligent Ag booth on Friday, March 11th from 9 to 10 a.m. to talk about these hot topics in agriculture. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. Before we let you go for the day, there are several other headlines that have developed over the weekend. I wanted to make sure we had a chance to talk about those before you go about your day. Issue number one focuses still on Ukraine. It was announced yesterday there was a government resolution inside Ukraine that traders, export traders, are now going to need export license for key ag commodities coming out of that country. Licenses will be required on wheat, corn and sunflower oil. In addition, they do say the government said, but I don't know if it if these forms have been released yet, they said that traders would also need licenses to export poultry and eggs. So I think we are starting to see longer term impacts of the war in Ukraine. These are going beyond shipping troubles. These are these will be here even if Russia were to pull out tomorrow. The Ukraine will be watching their production and importantly, the export of these goods as a food crisis is now quickly developing inside that country. One of the major challenges that Ukraine has with their exports, of course, is that Russia has closed the Black Sea. As of right now, the Black Sea ports of Ukraine predominantly are closed. I have not read of any ships leaving or entering the country. There's one container vessel that's been parked there since the day before the war started and no indication that it's going to move. However, the Ukrainians did say they do have more than 60 million tons of grain available for export this year. With the ports being closed, though, that export becomes a struggle, but the state-run Ukrainian Railways has said they are prepared to organize ag exports by rail as a matter of urgency after the closure of the Black Sea port. So we'll continue watching the developments to come out of Ukraine. One of the ongoing stories has been the shift from uh, favorability towards Russia in the West to leaving them sort of as an, as an isolated pariah state with very few friends left on the global scene with one major exception, and that's China. We've talked about this on the show with our friend John Holtzman, the geopolitical strategist, but we are seeing China reiterate their friendship with Russia. In fact, earlier today, the Chinese foreign minister called Russia's called Beige called Russia Beijing's quote most important strategic partner amid their continued um, refusal to condemn the invasion in the Ukraine. John Holzman on the show has talked about the potential for Russia and China to form an economic trading block. It wouldn't be as easy as it looks on a map. Of course, there are some some pretty big geographic challenges shipping Russian grains or Ukrainian grains into China. But these two governments have continued to work together, which is good news for Russia because there are additional headaches ahead for that country. It is being discussed right now in the European Union that the World Trade Organization could end Russia's most favored nation status. Now, this headline caught me by surprise a little bit because we've been hearing concerns from the European Union about taking too hard of a line on Beijing. In fact, just earlier today, Germany came out, uh, their chancellor, Olaf Scholz, came out and said he opposes cutting off energy supplies from Russia. He says their oil and gas are essential to the European economy. So that's what we're hearing on one side. On the other side, however, the European continent, particularly Western European countries, are looking to crack down harder on Russia in a way that perhaps leaves Russia fewer options for retaliation. And one of those is through the World Trade Organization. Russia is a member. They do have most favored nation status with the EU, which means that a lot of the non-tariff barriers between those two countries have been removed. I've reached out to Simon Lester, our friend who has appeared on this podcast several times, former attorney with the World Trade Organization, and hopefully he's going to be able to join us later this week, and we can talk about what this would mean specifically to Russia. Because if I keep talking, I'll be a little out over my skis when it comes to the internal workings of the World Trade Organization. But these conversations that are happening in Europe are big shifts. Last week, I think on the show, we raised the issue that Germany might not mothball all their nuclear plants by the end of 2022. That's been a goal that Germany's been working towards for, well, decades in the case of some plants. And with this focus on energy security, now talks have sprung up. Perhaps they shouldn't finish mothballing these plants. Well, remains to be seen if they'll actually follow through on that. But the Europeans have also started to change the way they look at grains. For a long time, North American grains, uh, conventional grains, haven't been purchased in Europe. They have banned imports of genetically modified grains from the U.S. and South America. But now the EU 
is taking a look at those restrictions. Their concern is that food prices are rising precipitously across Europe, and they want to ensure they have enough food supplies to feed their people. So Spain and France have both proposed a waiver on agricultural goods with traces of herbicide, and they're going to try to increase their stockpiles domestically. This is an opportunity for the U.S. to send really conventional grains into Europe. Now, this has not had this has not been a pro. Uh, uh, has not been approved, I should say, by EU authorities as of yet. However, it is going to leave it up to the member states to decide whether or not they want to bring in these grains or not. And I know we're talking a lot of foreign policy and trade stuff here on this Monday. But we've got some other trade news I wanted to be sure I leave you with. We are, the U.S. is beginning to review Trump's tariffs. We think all the way back to the start of the trade war in 2018, those tariffs are now due for reauthorization. But before these can be reauthorized, and folks, in total, we're talking just a little, little shy of $500 billion worth of tariffs imposed on Chinese goods. The U.S., if we want to keep those tariffs in place, we have to complete a review that looks at uh, the impacts of the tariffs and how much funding was raised. Those reviews haven't started, but they need to finish by July 6th. For the first group of goods, the Biden administration has said they are going to kick that review process off shortly. So we'll be watching. It'll be interesting to see what kind of economic data we glean after four years of having these tariffs in place. Folks, that does it for AOA Today on this Monday, March 7th. We hope you tune in tomorrow and stick around later on in the week. I will be at Commodity Classic. If you're going to be there, look us up. We will be at the UPL booth and the Intelligent Ag booth. Hopefully we can see all of you in New Orleans. Tune in tomorrow. We'll talk more agriculture on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this week? Stop by the Intelligent Ag booth to talk with their specialist on how to overcome spraying and fertilizer spreading challenges and learn more about their new Recon Spray Sense solution that monitors real-time flow and pressure of all nozzles on sprayers. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the Intelligent Ag booth on Friday, March 11th from 9 to 10 a.m. to talk about these hot topics in agriculture. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to or hit rewind. Like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. But pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.